Good morning, church. Good morning. So glad that you're here today. Beautiful day for it, isn't it? Thank you for braving the weather and being here today. John chapter 10 today, church, title of the message is The Good Shepherd. And we're going to spend most of our time this morning really looking at the verse, uh, 20 verses in John chapter 10. And I want to start our time today with a question. If I were to ask you, what is a relationship with God like? What would you say? What is it like to be in relationship with God? And I feel like many of us might be able to answer with some, maybe some churchy things that we've learned. Well, God gives us eternal life. Well, God gives us hope and peace and all these different things. But, but think about it. It's actually a harder question than we might realize at first. What does God do for you? What, what is it like to be in relationship with God? Who is God for his child. And a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about who God is and what he does for us. We probably find a lot of opinions out there, but who should we let tell us about God? Scripture, God himself, all, all good things. I want to remind you of a verse that we looked at at the very beginning of our study, John 1, verse 18. I want us to remember why Jesus came to this planet. So what it says, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Who explains God to us? We could listen to a lot of different voices in our world, but I want you to notice that only God can tell us about himself. And so we look to scripture, and in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus explain the Father to us by using the I am statements. You guys know we've already been talking about these a little bit several times in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am, which means he was claiming to be God because in Exodus chapter 3, that was the name God gave for himself. He said, I am that I am. But Jesus did not just say, I am. He would then say something else. He would say another word or another phrase that would tell us about what kind of relationship with God we're all able to have through Jesus. What has he said so far? He said, I am the bread of life. A relationship with God is like receiving the bread of life, calling the Jews back to that moment in the Old Testament when the Israelites had no bread because they were wandering through the wilderness and God provided for them. He says, I'm the bread of life. I can provide life for you. What else has he told us? He says, I'm the light of the world. Calling the Jews back to creation when out of chaos and, and darkness in disorder, God said with his word, let there be light. And Jesus coming onto this planet was shining a beam of light into a dark world. We haven't gotten to it yet, but one of my favorite ones is in John 15 when Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he says, I am the vine. I am the vine, and he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is more of an obscure passage in the Old Testament, but a relationship with Jesus is the source for our advancement of the kingdom. I have no power spiritually apart from Christ. And we see in Isaiah chapter 27, the, the prophet writes that the fruitfulness of the nation, the fruitfulness of the people of God is dependent on their closeness to their source, the vine, Jesus and today in John chapter 10, we see two more of these I am statements. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. And I want to show you today what a relationship with Jesus is like. And we're going to see that in this passage, but we're also going to see it in Psalm 23 and Ezekiel 34. 
First thing we see this morning, y'all, is that Jesus is the greatest spiritual leader. Here's what you need to know about a relationship with Jesus. Following Christ is like following no one else. He is the greatest spiritual leader. I would argue he's the only one who is worthy of your life. And in this passage, y'all, we get a parable of Jesus. In fact, we're told that this really isn't a parable. It's more of a figure of speech. Does anybody in their Bible, does it say the parable of the sheep or something in John chapter 10? When we study the book of John, we recognize that there are some things missing from this gospel that, aren't, that are in other gospels, namely exorcism and many of the classic parables. And really, y'all, in this, in John chapter 10, is the closest thing we have to Jesus giving us a parable. What was a parable? It was a figure of speech or a story that Jesus would tell us to illustrate a spiritual point, right? So if he's talking about seed, seed doesn't really mean seed. It means the word of God and so forth. And so as we read this uh, situation, we've got really in these first eight verses, verses, we need to kind of define our terms or learn what Jesus was talking about here. Look at the first three verses with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus is talking about some deeper spiritual things here than shepherds and sheep and pen. What is he talking about here and what do these things recommend? First, he's telling us about a pen or a fold of the sheep, right? We think about when sheep back in these days, how they were being transported and how they were being watched, you really had two options. They either had a, a fold or a pen that was normally connected to the house in some way, whether it was another room in the house or just a little fence beside the house. But most of the time, we think of the sheep were not inside of a fence. They were being guarded by a person a shepherd. This is throwing me back to some of my American history, but I remember learning in high school that our country changed forever with the invention of barbed wire. Do you know this? Because no longer were cowboys needed as much, and people kind of knew where everybody's property was because you were able to put up a fence and say, this is my boundary. This is where my people are. And y'all, the pen here represents first, I want you to hear me, the nation of Israel. That God's telling us about his people in the pen, that his sheep are here. Jesus had come to the Jews to tell them about spiritual life. And he says, I'm the one coming. But he says, there are some who are coming who are not going to be great spiritual leaders at all. There are some who are going to come here who are not going to help the sheep. They're going to harm the sheep. They're not going to come through the door. They're going to come another way, and they are thieves, and they are robbers. Can you imagine? Can you think of some examples of spiritual leaders who are false or might harm the sheep. It wouldn't take long for us to think about some of these people. Who would they be? Well, in the Old Testament, they had false prophets, right? People who were pointing to other gods. In this time, when, John was, uh, when Jesus was speaking to these Jews, they were also false messiahs. There were people who had come before Jesus and said, hey, I'll save you from your sins if you'll just follow me. In Acts chapter 5, a Pharisee named Gamaliel tells us about these people. There were people who would come Long, they would say they were the Messiah. People would follow them for a certain period of time, and then that movement would fade away. False prophets, false messiahs in church. We have thieves and robbers today. People who would stand up on a stage and be very gifted communicators to the point where you might just think, wow, that sounded so good, it must be true. 
and we might be led away because they're teaching opinion, they're thinking false, teaching false gospels, they're tickling our ears. And church, how do we know the voice of the shepherd, as he says in verse 3? How do we know God's voice in the midst of all the noise, in the midst of all the other voices so that we might follow the greatest spiritual leader? How do we know? How do we know his voice? Church, we know it by studying the scriptures. We talked about it in heart and soul today. If you want to hear God speak, open his word. Jesus is the greatest spiritual leader. We need him. There are many thieves and robbers, many false shepherds who would lead us away. And I said that this passage calls us back to the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 34, did you know that Jesus calls out some of the bad shepherds of Israel? Listen to this. He said, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Sorry, this is Ezekiel 34, 1 through 7. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity, you have dominated them. How do you know if somebody's a bad spiritual leader? If they dominate you, if they put you down for to build themselves up. And Jesus is a different kind of spiritual leader because he came to serve. He came to lay down his life for us. And we see in this passage in verse 7, Jesus says, I am the door. Now, again, kind of explaining these different things about understanding what is the thieves and robbers or, or who are the sheep and all these different things. Jesus has multiple roles in the parable. Did you notice this? Jesus is the door. He's the doorkeeper, and he's the good shepherd. So Jesus kind of gets a lot of things thrown in here. I don't think it's a coincidence that there's three things that Jesus represents in this passage. I'll just leave that there. But the comprehensive work of the Trinity in our salvation, that the shepherd is the one who comes in and, and leads us and guides us and provides for us, but he is affirmed by the one who comes in and who is the doorkeeper, namely the Father. Jesus says, I too am the door. When Jesus said this I am statement, it reminds me a lot, church, of John 14, verse 6, an I am statement that maybe uh, communicates the same idea, maybe a little bit more famous, is when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's continue to read verse 9 and 10, and I want to show you that only Jesus can provide spiritual flourishing. If a bad spiritual leader is one that will be a bad master, that won't provide for me, that won't help me grow, but will actually treat me with severity, make me weaker, and pull me into some sort of slavery, and only Christ is the one who can provide for me, good. A bad leader will be a spiritual destruction, but only Christ can be spiritual flourishing. And notice what he says in verses 9 and 10. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and, and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is saying it's very simple, and there's really only two paths here. Either I follow the path of the shepherd, I go through this door and I find him. I'm saved in Christ. I will go out and find pasture. I'll be provided for in every way. I'll flourish spiritually. Or I could go the way of the thief. And he says the way of the thief leads to the same destruction every single time. Verse 10, because the thief comes only 
to steal and kill and destroy. Previously in this passage, he talks about thieves and robbers, and I believe rightly interpreted, we are to understand them as false prophets, false messiahs, false teachers today, but they're all pawns of the singular thief referenced here in verse 10, and that is Satan, that the thief comes for one purpose, and this may look differently in generations and for each one of us, but his goal for your life is the same. It is to steal from you. It is to kill you and is to utterly destroy you. And it is a completely different path than the one that the good shepherd has for us. You know, church, I think sometimes we we don't see this as two paths and two options. We like to introduce a third option. We say, yeah, I understand that that if I follow sin and I follow uh, Satan, then I'll I'll be uh, destroyed, right? I don't want to go that way and that I can only have life in Christ. But, you know, most of my life isn't following either one of them. It's actually just going my own way. It's, It's a path of self. I didn't follow the the good shepherd or the bad shepherd. I just followed me. And we think somehow my life and my decision-making is somehow in the middle of the road versus serving sin and slavery to it or serving God. To understand this parable, we got to understand who the sheep are. Who are the sheep? They're people. How intelligent are sheep? They're not very intelligent, right? What happens to a sheep when it's not led by something? It dies because it can't provide for itself, church. And I want you to hear me. There are so many people in our world who are sheep thinking that they're leading themselves when in reality they are pawns and they are slaves to sin. We think there's three options. We think it's maybe a sin, self, or God. Church, it's really just two who is leading your life. And I know if you're sitting here today, I'm not trying to to judge you or condemn you this morning. That's not what I want to do. But I know that if you have not been following the good shepherd, there's destruction in your life right now. There's pain in your life because he has stolen from you. And you know that only Christ can provide spiritual flourishing because you've been trying it on your own for a while. And you know where that leads every single time. Church, only he can provide spiritual flourishing in your life. Why? Verse 11, because he is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for sheep. Do you see the difference in the spiritual leadership? Ezekiel 34 tells us about bad leaders who oppressed the sheep, who who took from them. But he says, I'm the good shepherd, and I show a sacrificial love. I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the third point this morning, y'all. Jesus really loves you. I just want you to know that Jesus really loves you, and I want you to see the type of providing love and the type of sacrificial love that he gives to us. The second I am statement is, I am the good shepherd. And when we hear that, we need to think back immediately to Psalm chapter 23, when David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. Does anybody know this psalm? Very familiar. Maybe some of you have it memorized. Let me just read uh, it to you for us to understand what the good shepherd does in our lives. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life, and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Church, you want to know what a relationship with God is like? Just read Psalm chapter 23. This is the provision of our God. Now, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, again, we need to remember there's kind of two parts to that statement. First, he's saying, I am. I am Yahweh, right? I am God. And then he says, and I am also a good shepherd. I am the one who's going to provide your spiritual flourishing. And in Psalm 23, verse 1, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, if you go back in your Bible to Psalm chapter 23, I would almost guarantee that in your Bible, the Lord there is in all caps, L-O-R-D, all capitals. And here's just a little helpful note if you're ever reading the Old Testament. If those four letters, Lord, are in all caps, what it's telling you there is that the Hebrew word is Yahweh. And so when David writes in Psalm 23, he says, Yahweh is my shepherd. I am is my shepherd. Church, Psalm 23 is famous today. It was famous for the Jews who heard this when it was said. And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd... They understood his claim. I want to show you just a few of the parallels between John chapter 10 and Psalm 23. In John 10 verse 9, it said, If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, that I will provide for them, that I will lead them into a place of pasture. What does Psalm 23 verse 2 say? He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. John 10.10, Jesus talked about the abundant life or the having the life to the full. You see that? He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, I'm here to give them enough and more than enough. And what that really means there, church, we need to understand. It's not just talking about we'll have prosperity in this life. It's not talking about the things you get in life. It's talking about the quality and quantity of life, that we will have life overflowing, running over, never-ending, everlasting in Jesus. That's exactly what David says. He says, you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life, and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. I love that in verse 6. It's a certainty about the future and the provision of the shepherd. Certainly, God's goodness and his faithfulness, literally what that means is his covenant love that he has poured out on me. Through the gospel message, it will follow me all the days of my life. I don't have to worry about God's love abandoning me in my life, and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. He's with me in this life, and I have an expectation and a hope of what he's going to do in the future. Psalm 23, verse 3 also gives us a really cool um, just glimpse of what the shepherd does in our life. And, and it's not a parallel of, of anything that Jesus does in, in John chapter 10. It's actually a parallel to what the thief does in John chapter 10. Remember, John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So each one of us, if we followed the bad shepherd, if we followed Satan, then we've experienced destruction in our lives. And I love what the shepherd does for us in Psalm 23, verse 3. What's the first line there? It says, he restores my soul. I love that, church, 
Because the gospel message starts with each one of us has chosen sin. Each one of us has chosen the bad shepherd. And because of our sin, we have reaped theft and destruction and death in our lives. And the promise of the gospel is that Jesus, the good shepherd, the one who came and died for you and rose again for you and defeated sin and death for you, can restore your soul. Church, we need restoration because each one of us has rebelled against God and followed the bad shepherd. We have a story. We have a past. You know, I love that word restoration. It doesn't say he'll improve your soul or he'll hold your soul. It says he'll restore it. He'll take something broken and he can make it new. Church, there's nothing that Satan has done to you that Christ can't restore. Did you know that? His grace is better. He can resurrect. He can heal. Our God can redeem every story. The good shepherd can restore Some of us believe that lie. I've just done too much. Liam, there's too much brokenness in my story. There's too much destruction. God can't use this, and God can't restore. Church, he can. He's the good shepherd. He really loves you. We see the provision in Psalm 23 and John 10.10 of the real love of Jesus. But I want to point out quickly the sacrificial love of Jesus. In verse 11, he said, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Look at verse 12 with me. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus sets himself up in this passage as better than false prophets, better than false teachers, better than false messiahs, but he also sets himself up as better than the hired hand. This is another character kind of in this parable. We've talked about thieves and robbers and the sheep as well, but there's this person here he talks about who's a hired hand, somebody that uh, the owner of the sheep gets to watch the sheep, and he's not very committed to his job, right? Probably making, you know, 10 bucks an hour doing this, and so he's all for it, but as soon as the wolf comes, as soon as Satan shows up, as soon as there becomes spiritual warfare or conflict or trials or temptation, the shepherd flees because he's not the good shepherd, he's just some hired hand who thinks, I don't get paid enough for this. I'm out of here. Church, Jesus is better than the hired hand. And sometimes we think he is the hired hand. We're tempted to believe that. Because of what I've done, Jesus has run out on me. And the gospel no longer applies to me. And Jesus has no more grace for me. And Jesus says, don't you know I'm better than the hired hand? I'm not like him. I'm the good shepherd, and I will die for you. In fact, he already has died for us. Yahweh's blood is on the table. And that is the demonstration of his commitment and his love for you. It's a sacrificial love. Jesus really, really loves you. He loves you more than anybody else. And he doesn't love you based on what's happening in your life right now. He loves you on the basis of what he did 2,000 years ago on a cross. That is the demonstration of his love. Romans 5, 6, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Church, he really, really loves us. He didn't die for me because I'm a pretty good person. He didn't die for me because of anything he, I had done. He demonstrated, think about it, he demonstrated his, own, his love toward us when I wasn't even born yet. He really, really loves us. Church, and because he loves us, I think we need to radically rethink our faith. And I think we need to rethink the way we interact with God. And I was just thinking about this. Track with me for just a moment. In the times of sheep and shepherds, again, there weren't really any fences, right? So safety and provision was not about staying inside of a fence. It was about proximity to the shepherd. And I wonder if some of us have fence faith instead of shepherd faith. Let me explain this to us. We think of our faith in Christianity and a walk with Christ is about learning the list of do's and don'ts so that we stay in some kind of fence of morality. And so I want to know how far is too far because I want to get right up on the edge without falling over into sin and temptation. I just want to know how to keep my freedom and do everything I want to do. And it's not a relationship with proximity close to the shepherd. It's just what, how far is too far. And we think that the goal of our faith is moral excellence learning how to do right all the time. And church, I want you to hear me. Moral excellence is an incredible byproduct of our faith, but the goal of our faith is an intimate walk with the shepherd. And so I want to see my faith not as I want to know all the do's and don'ts to get, but I believe that safety and life is in Jesus. He's my shepherd, and so I'm going to stay as close to him as I can. I don't want to be one of those sheep 100 yards off like, okay, I see this shepherd. He's out there because a wolf might come in between us. Do you understand safety? Do you understand provision? Do you understand life? Do you understand spiritual life as proximity to the shepherd? I'm going to be as close to him as possible. What that means, church, is that following him is a relationship. It's not based on works. God is not pleased with you for staying inside of the fence. He is pleased with you when you seek him, Romans chapter 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because those who please him must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. Church, in my life, I want to have a shepherd-centered faith. Say, the goal of my faith is to be as close to him as possible instead of trying to figure out the edges of his love and my safety. Last thing I want you to see in this passage, I want you to see the scope of his plan and the scope of his love in verses 16 through 18. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life so that I might take it up again. No one is taken away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father." Earlier, we talked about the first fold, and I said that that one was the nation of Israel. And some people might push back on that and say, well, isn't it just the kingdom of God or the church? Well, just check this out. In verse 16, he says, I've got other sheep who are in another fold, and my gospel is for them too. And so the pen here is an ethnic draw. It's a, it's a line of nations, and God says, my gospel is not just for the Jews. It's not just for the nation of Israel. I have a global mission. I have some sheep in other pens, and part of the mission of the church, the mission of the church, I should say, is to go get the sheep and bring them in 
Show them the shepherd so that they might be one flock with one shepherd. And church, we know the culmination of this plan of God. The good shepherd was coming to provide salvation for all nations, and we see the culmination of it at the resurrected Christ in Matthew, or Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. What did the resurrected Christ say? He said, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' mission is about more than just one circle. One type of people, one flock, one pen, one fence, one group. It's for the entire world. And what's so incredible is when Jesus rose from the grave, he said, I'm going to reach the entire world. I'm going to do it through my body, the church. And he looked at his disciples and he said, go. Go. The good shepherd has told the redeemed, he's told the church to go and a lot of this message is, is, is when we read Psalm 23, we think it's just, you know, sometimes we're, we're, we just get focused on just us. And we think, oh, man, look at the provision of the shepherd. Look at what he's done for me. Wow, God really loves me. Church, he really loves the world. His mission was for the world. It was for the nations. And for me to be in right relationship with God, walking closely with the shepherd, his mission has to, got to become my mission. And this is really the heart, church, while we're doing this Who's Your One? Because when we get into connect groups, we just want the culture of our church to be we're identifying people in our world who need Jesus, and we're using our community and the support that we have together to figure out how are we going to reach these people. There are people in other pens. There are people in other folds. There are people who are following the wrong shepherd. And we know the destruction that causes because we know God's word and we felt it ourselves. And so we want to be a church who is connecting people to Jesus. And when we're doing that, church, sacrificially, because it's scary and it's hard and it's not convenient, we are modeling the character of the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Amen? Amen, church. He is so good. And I just wanted to spend some time reflecting on the character of our God and the provision of our God. So I'm going to ask the band if they'll come up, and we're going to sing one more song. And if this is just a time for you to, if you've got some business to do with God, just apologizing for believing the lies about his character. We put God up as, as the hired hand. Sometimes we, we've listened to other voices about God and they've heard us. And maybe just part of it is we've got to go back to the scripture and say, wow, I was trusting in other people to form my theology and form my opinions of God and my beliefs about God. I've got to get back to his word. Because I was starting to believe it was all about my works. I was starting to believe that if I sinned a couple of times, he would leave me. I was starting to believe all these lies. It says that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. And church, I just want us to spend a little bit of time. Can we commit this week to learning how to listen to the voice of the shepherd? To be still and to say, God, I, I don't know you like I want to know you, but I believe if I'm still and I get in your word, 
that you will explain yourself to me because you've promised to do that. And as we sing, church, I pray we would be those people reaching out. That's not a song, not a concert, just that we sing, but that we would connect to our Father as we sing together. Church, he's worthy. He's worthy of our worship and of our time. Can we pray together? God, you are so good. Lord, we see your character. You provide for us. You love us when we were unlovable. You demonstrated your love through the cross. Father, and you alone can provide for our spiritual flourishing. And God, I pray if there's someone here today looking at their life and just seeing the destruction because of following the wrong leader, God, I pray today would be the day that they would turn from their sin and they would trust in your work, Lord, that they would look to the sun and live. God, I thank you for this church. Father, I pray that this little sheep pen right here, God, this little church would not be inward. We would not be exclusive, but God, we would recognize our mission is to go and introduce other people to the good shepherd. So God, I pray, would you give us the strength and the boldness and the courage to be able to do that, not for our glory, not for the name of Connection Church Athens, but for the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is, God. Would you bless this time as we worship together? In Jesus' name. Amen.